Welcome to the Rock Church Podcast. This is Amanda. We're so glad you're joining us today. We are a church family that exists to love God, love people, and do something about it. If you would like to learn more about us, you can visit us at rockc3.com or head over to your app store and search Rock C3 for our app. This week, you'll hear the second week of our series called The Bigger Picture from Pastor Clay Finkley. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Rock Church. How are we doing today? Good, good, good. I love hearing that. If you, uh, if you don't know me, my name is Clay Finkley, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I just want to welcome you to The Rock. I just want to say thank you for joining us. If you're new here, uh, please make sure you stop by the New Here tent, as we've said a couple times, and then also scan that QR code that is right in front of you, as we just love get connected with you. But I'm also really excited about other people that are joining us. We have people joining us from online campus right now. So let's give it up for everybody joining us online. Awesome. So yeah, we're, we're in a great time to be here. We are in the second week of our series called The Bigger Picture. And it's all about finding your place in the bigger picture of God's story. And, and as you look at that, last week we talked about wrestling with God, uh, which was a really fun week. Uh, next week we're talking about how our past fits into the bigger picture. Uh, we're also going to talk about calling and position over the next few weeks as well. And today we get the super fun subject that, that just makes me so happy. Uh, it's the subject of failure. So... How does failure fit into the bigger picture? Isn't that super fun? Like, heel clicking everything, right? Like, we're fired up about failure, right? Because everybody loves talking about their failures. Now, we can kind of approach this one or two different ways. Uh, we can either, you know, talk about failure and get like real sentimental and real sad real fast, or you can hear a really embarrassing story of me being a failure. So, I think we're going to go with the, the failure story. Why does it sound good for you? Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll go with my embarrassing story of failure first. So, I uh, I was a sophomore in high school, and the homecoming dance was coming up very, very soon. And uh, your boy was without a date at this point. So I had to find a date. I had to figure out who am I going to ask to go to the homecoming dance with me? Who's going to have the time of their life with Clay Finkley? Right. So I was thinking about all my options. Not that there was many, but I was thinking about my options, uh, and I was like, okay, who would be the person to ask? And the name popped in my head, Kelsey. Kelsey was pretty. Kelsey was on the dance team. Kelsey and I were friends. Kelsey and I had math class together. Kelsey and I went to the same church. Kelsey and I were in the same small group. Kelsey was named the angel of the school because she was the nicest person in the world. Kelsey was the perfect choice. It's like, okay. I'm going to ask Kelsey to go to the dance with me. This is going to be amazing. I can't wait for this. So I kind of tried to figure out how am I going to ask, because this was kind of right at the beginning of that crazy uh, promposal craze that's been going on for several years now. So I was like, all right, how am, I, how am I going to ask her? So I came up with this great idea that one night while she was at dance practice, I would go to her house and write real big in chalk on her driveway, will you go to homecoming with me? And then I would leave and wait for the, the text that says, yes, Clay, I will. So... Without thinking, I did it the next day. So she was at dance practice. I drove to her house. I wrote, will you go to the homecoming dance with me on the driveway? And I went home and I waited. This was a nerve-wracking time. And all of a sudden, I heard, ding. Looked to my left, looked at my phone. Kelsey Shute texted me. This is going to be great. I opened up the phone. 
The first four words were, Clay, I'm so sorry. You guys know where this is going, right? She, she said no. Apparently she already had a date. I was heartbroken. Everything hurt. I was embarrassed. And then somehow it got worse. Because the next line of the text said, will you come wash off the chalk from the driveway? <laughs> That's tough, right? And as a high schooler, I thought my life was over. I thought I was finished with, I thought there was no way I could ever recover from this. Like this was going to be the defining moment, the defining picture of my high school career. And yes, it ended up being embarrassing, but it really wasn't any of those. It wasn't the end of my life. It wasn't the end of my high school career. Like everything was fine. And I know if we look at our own personal failures, there's times in your life where you could probably tell some funny moments of you failing, but there's also some moments where you have failed and it really does feel like it's gonna be the end of your life. Like you feel like it's gonna be the defining moment. You feel like it's gonna be the picture of your life. But I want you to know, while that moment of failure feels like the picture, it can actually be a part of a much, much bigger picture depending on how you respond. Here's what I mean by this. Uh, there's this thing called mosaic photography, and it's where you take a bunch of little bitty pictures to make one giant picture that, that kind of creates a new image. And we're gonna throw it on the screen for you. Uh, this is a picture of Mark Zuckerberg for some reason. Um, so you have all these little tiny pictures uh, that, that create this one big picture of Mark Zuckerberg. And, and that's the, how mosaic photography works. You take these little ones to make this big one. Now, the thing, with us, though, is oftentimes we will get hyper-focused on these moments in our life, these tiny moments, and we make them to be the whole picture when they actually could be a part of something much bigger. Because you have this opportunity to respond to failure, which then allows you to see God's bigger picture of your life. So how do you respond? Well, to do that, I feel like we have to go back and understand why failure feels like the picture so that we can then know how to respond. And today we're gonna to be talking about a guy named Judah. And with Judah's story, I'm gonna tell you two stories that are pretty crazy. Like, like they are movies to be made, they are documentaries to watch. Like this is like a little bit Tiger King-esque like craziness at some point. So like there's a lot going on with these stories, but I want you to know like your failure's not gonna be as bad as his, okay? So that's where we're gonna dive in. Uh, Judah, he has a family. He has lots of brothers. There's one brother that is the favorite of the family. Does anybody have a sibling that you know is the favorite in the family? Okay, yep, so we know that's just a real thing. Like some of you looked at your sibling right there, that was painful. Um, and, and that's just a real thing, right? Like so that, that was a thing that they had and Joseph, uh, he was the family's favorite and uh, it made his brother so mad made him so mad because Joseph, he ratted on his brothers when they weren't living right. Joseph uh, got this super valuable robe from his dad. One day Joseph had this dream and he went up to his brothers and said, hey guys, one day you guys are all going to bow down to me. And not only will you guys bow down to me, but the sun and the moon and the stars will bow down to me as well. And at this point, his brothers are just done. They just can't stand the guy. They are finished with him. They're like, we gotta get rid of this guy. So one day they are out working and while the, all the brothers are out working, Joseph comes walking up and they see him come off from the distance. And as he's off in the distance, uh, they come up with a plan to kill him. 
And with this idea of him to come up with this plan to kill him, all of a sudden Judah has a little conviction and he comes up with another idea. Genesis 37, 26 and 27, it says this. So Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traitors. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So right here, I can see the conscience and the conviction playing in Judah's heart right here. He wants to kill his brother, but he also knows killing his brother is wrong. At the same time, he doesn't not want to do anything. He still wants to get back at his brother. So he comes up with this idea to sell him. And it's almost like the idea of selling him, because it's not as bad as killing him, there's less guilt on the conscience. There's less conviction. There's less bad feelings that are on his shoulders from there on. So it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to do that. I think we do that a lot in life, where we know what's right and we know what's wrong. We can feel it. We can sense it. We can feel God convicting us. And what we often end up doing is we end up not doing the thing that we originally want to do because we're like, oh, that's too far. But we still do something in the same vein, just not as severe. What it really is, is uh, it's an at least I didn't do that mindset. Let me give you some examples. Like, all I did was take some money. At least I didn't take all of it. All I did was watch some stuff on the internet. At least I didn't do it with another person. All I did was talk to my friend about that one person. At least I didn't post online about them. All I did was punch a wall. At least it wasn't a person. See, the thing with that mindset is if you have a mindset of at least I didn't do that, you still fail at that. Because whether you go all the way with the initial desire or you do it to a level that you felt like you can handle that wasn't as bad, it's still failure because it's still sin, which means it's still wrong, which means you still failed. And it's gonna feel wrong just like you would have otherwise because it still is wrong. See, Judah, he didn't kill his brother. That's great. But he still sold his brother into slavery. Bad. It's a bad thing. And because he did a bad thing, he felt the effects of it. It's a really interesting piece of scripture in Genesis 38, the first verse of it. We're not going to throw it on the screen or anything like that, but it, it happens after the conclusion of this story of selling Joseph into slavery. And it says, about that time, Judah moves away. And I thought that was really interesting because when I looked at it, I was like, man, he must have felt so much conviction that he just moved away right away. He just ran away from his problems. But after doing a little study, it turns out that about some time later was actually about a period of 20 years, which then made me think, man, that was 20 years. But I wonder if every single day, the moment he sold his brother into slavery felt like yesterday, where that weight wore on him. That, that conviction hit him, that he thought about it constantly, knowing that he did something wrong. And you would hope after doing something wrong like that, his failure would stop. But with Judah, it doesn't. It doesn't end there. He fails again and again. Because Judah ends up getting married and he has three sons. And his oldest son, he marries a woman named Tamar. And the oldest son ends up doing some wicked things, so God strikes him down. His second son then marries Tamar because that's culturally what you're supposed to do. The second son does some ungodly things, so God strikes him down. So all of a sudden, 
you have this woman who's married two of your sons who have now died. We got a real Carol Baskin situation. We're flipping all the way back to Tiger King, right? Like we are in a real, real bad spot with this story. Like this is already crazy. So Judah looks at her and says, hey, why don't you go live with your family? And when my third oldest son is old enough, you can go ahead and marry him. Now, did Judah have any intention of actually allowing her to marry him? No. So he lied. Failure. After some time after that, Judah's wife passes away. So now all of a sudden you have Judah who is getting a little lonely in life, and this leads to failure again. Genesis 38, 14 through 16, it, it says this. Tamar was aware that Shelah had grown up, but no arrangements had been made for her to come and marry him. So she changed out of her widow's clothing and covered herself with a veil to disguise herself. Then she sat beside the road at the entrance to the village of Enam, which is on the road to Timnah. Next verse says, Judah noticed her and thought she was a prostitute since she had covered her face. So he stopped and propositioned her, let me have sex with you, he said, not realizing that she was his own daughter-in-law. This is like an afternoon soap opera, right? Like this is, story is nuts. But if you look at this situation and, and his failure here, you will notice that there's a constant track of Judah's failures. And the constant track is when he's emotionally charged, he has some failures. He's angry at Joseph, so he wants to kill him and he sells him into slavery. He's upset at Tamar and the situation about his son, so what he does is he lies to her. He's lonely, so he then goes to get uh, to sleep with his daughter-in-law, not realizing that she was, not, she was his daughter-in-law. These negative emotions control him. And I just want to warn you, like, your negative emotions will try to pull you down. And in those negative, when those negative emotions hit you, fight them because they will tempt you towards failure. We have to be cognizant of that. Judah didn't fight his negative emotions and that led him to a place of failure. And because there was failure, there was consequence to it. Genesis 38, uh, 24 through 26, it says this. It says, about three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has acted like a prostitute. And now, because of this, she's pregnant. And Judah says, bring her out and let her be burned. It's interesting because... There's a lot of times we do something wrong, we point the finger at somebody else, don't we? That's what it says next. But as they were taking her out to kill her, she sent this message to her father-in-law. The man who owns these things made me pregnant. Look closely. Whose seal and cord and walking stick are these? And Judah recognized them immediately. You know, reading this story, I, I, I can't help but imagine that Judah at this point just feels like a complete failure. He sold his brothers into slavery. His two sons have been struck down by God. He lied to Tamar. He slept with Tamar. He impregnated Tamar. This is a life that is defined by failure. And that had to wear heavy on him. And if you really were to look at this, if you were to put the word failure in the dictionary, you put a picture next to it, you're putting Judah's face Judah's picture was one of failure. And you might be in here and you might feel the same way. And maybe your story isn't the same as that. Maybe your situation isn't the same as that, but you still feel like a failure. 
Maybe it's you fall into that sin trap over and over and over again, so you feel like a failure. Maybe you made mistakes in your past, so you feel like a failure. Maybe your family's a mess, so you feel like a failure. Maybe it's, it's one of those situations you're not as successful as you think you should be, so you feel like a failure. Our failures often define how we view ourselves. There's this really crazy statistic that even if it's marginally off, still blows my mind. It says this, 50% of mental health disorders are established by the age of 14, while 75% are established by 24. Now, I'm not going to try to be a doctor. I'm not going to try to act like a mental health specialist, anything like that. But I am someone who works with those ages a lot. And here's what I know. 14 years old is right after middle school. 24 years old is right out of high school or out of college. I really believe the two transformative times in someone's life is middle school and college. And you have these two age groups working together in this situation, this issue. Because as you are trying to identify yourself, you're trying to figure out who you are, what you believe, what your life is going to look like, you're having a lot of failure. And that failure leads to an identity of failure as you are trying to identify. You get caught in the cycle of failure as you are trying to find your identity. And I think that's why that's happened. But I want you guys to know today that it doesn't have to be that way. The picture of your life, the snapshot of your life, the, the glimpse of your life doesn't have to be a picture of failure. Failure might be a part of the much bigger picture, but there's a bigger picture out there for you. It just all depends on how we respond. You know, there's this, this, pop, this super popular phrase um, that, 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 that we always talk about, failure, everyone fails, uh, failure is something that happens, failure is part of life. You could use a, diff, a ton of different terms for the term failure. And that's true. Failure is a part of life. And that's kind of a good thing. Because all of us in here, we fail. We make mistakes. Yet we're still alive. We're still kicking. We're still here today. And i got to be honest with you guys. That's, I think, because some of our response. Like, let me share with you guys one of my biggest failures in my marriage. Now, me and Katie, we have been married for four years now. There are times when Katie will go to work, and before she goes to work, she says, Clay, before you go to work... Well, you flip the laundry from the washer to the dryer. And of course, because I'm a great husband, I say, of course I will. I want to serve you. Absolutely. And then what do I forget to do every single time? Flip the laundry, right? Here's where it gets bad. Because I'll get home before her and I'll be waiting for her to get home. And as I am home and I see her pull up, I will recognize that I did not change the laundry over. So Clay Finkley will sprint to the laundry room, take the clothes from the washer, put them into the dryer, and I'll start it. Now, Katie, I don't know if you're watching online right now or not, but I'll be honest with you. I lie to you all the time. Because at this point, I will go over to Katie and say, Katie, I know the dryer's running. I just checked the clothes. They were still wet. So I restarted the dryer. Now, technically, did I lie? No. When I checked, were the clothes still wet? Yes, they were. And did I restart the dryer? Yes, I did, because from the, the last time it ran. So who's on my side here? 
Hey, thank you. you those were the wrong answers. I got to... Here's the problem with me sharing that story and that, that lie and that failure in my own life. I just made my life a whole lot harder, right? Like, I have no excuses anymore. So that's a failure. There's other failures we have too. Like when your mom tells you to eat all the chicken and you forget, so you try to pull the hot water trick. Like that's a real thing, right? Like when you, when you lock your keys in your car, that's a moment of failure. And then there's the moment when you go to a bathroom door and you walk in and you did not knock before and someone's sitting there and you catch eye contact. Failure, right? These are moments of failure. And all these things, they can either ruin our day or they could be no big deal. And the only difference between ruining our day and them being no big deal is our response. How we respond to those things, change it. Failure happens. It's a thing in life. How you respond to failure is what really makes or breaks it. Another way I could say this is your failure doesn't have to be a period. It can be a comma. And whether failure is the picture of your life or a part of the bigger picture depends on your response. The interesting thing about Judah is after all that crazy story, after all those crazy failures, he was not defined by his failure. He was actually defined by something else. And I believe it's because he responded well. So what I want to do is I want to help us learn how to respond to failure today. And what I want to do is I want to do an acrostic using the word fail because I've used the word fail probably 400 times in this sermon. So it's just in our brains already. We say it all the time. We say we're failures. We say we fail. So what I want us to do is break that word down so that we can actually use that to help us when we say we fail. So the first letter of uh, fail is F. And the thing that we need to do when we respond first is face the facts. Genesis 38, 26 uh, goes back to the, the story of Judah and Tamar. It says, Judah recognized them immediately and said, she is more righteous than I am because I didn't arrange for her to marry my son Shalah. Judah accepted the fact that he was in the wrong. He, he, he faced the fact that he made a mistake. He faced the fact that he lied. He faced the fact that he impregnated her. He faced the fact that he was living a bad life there. He faced it. And we all need to do the same thing because we all sin. We all make huge mistakes. We all make bad moments happen. We need to face the facts of what we are doing is wrong some of the times. And for some reason, today in this world, and, and, and a lot of people struggle with this, sometimes including myself, it's like everybody else in this world is wrong. Everybody else is making mistakes. Everybody is struggling except for me because I'm living my way. I'm living with my truth. I'm living with my morals. But that's not how facts or truth work. That's not how it functions. Like for me personally, it doesn't matter how much I try to rationalize my sin. It doesn't matter how much I try to justify it. It doesn't matter how much I try to explain it. The truth is, the fact is my sin is still sin. So I have to face those facts. Because the, 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 the reason the first thing to do is to face the facts is because if you won't admit and you aren't willing to say, yeah, I made a mistake, then you're never going to respond. You have to go, okay, here's my mistake. Here's what I got to do. Here's how I move forward. So the first thing to do when you fail in response is face the facts. The second thing you do is accept the consequences. There's a, there's a lot to go into this story, but basically uh, 
Joseph's in a position of power. The younger brothers are, the other brothers are needing food. They don't recognize that he's in a position of power. And now the youngest brother is in a really bad spot where he can be taken away from the family. And uh, if you want to read this story, it's really, really great. Genesis like 40 through 44. It's really great stuff. But there's a point where Judah has the opportunity to step in and make a difference and step in for his younger brother. And this is what he says. He says, so please, my Lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy. The boy is his youngest brother. And let the boy return with his brothers. For how can I return to my father if the boy is not with me? I couldn't bear to see the anguish this would cause my father. Judah was ready to step in and take the punishment that he retroactively deserved. He wasn't gonna do the same thing that he did once before. He wasn't gonna cause that pain. He wasn't gonna cause that hurt. He said, I can't allow that to happen again. After all this time, after all this time has passed, he finally learned like, man, I'm causing people pain. I'm causing people hurt. So I gotta accept the consequences. I gotta handle what I need to handle because I've made mistakes. And for him in this situation, that meant him being taken away. He had to accept the consequences to his actions. And this is really hard to deal with. It's really hard to hear, but there are consequences to our sin. Yes, Jesus will still love you. Yes, Jesus will forgive you. Yes, Jesus has grace. But that doesn't mean there's not consequences to what we do. Think about your parents. Yes, they will still love you when you mess up. Yes, they will still forgive you. Yes, they will still give you grace. But that wooden spoon still exists, doesn't it? It's part of the process. And I think accepting those consequences is so important because when you accept the consequences, you are actually humbling yourself. You are not saying anymore that I am better than the problem. You're saying, man, I, I had a problem, now I gotta fix it. That's why you gotta do that after you face the facts. You gotta say, okay, whatever I did, like, let's figure it out. I gotta humble myself. And then once you accept the consequences, you gotta move to the next letter, which is I, which stands for improve. We're going back to the story of Judah and Tamar here. And, and it says this, it says, Judah recognized them immediately and said, she is more righteous than I am because I didn't arrange for her to marry my son Shalah. And this next verse, this next little section is my favorite section of this entire scripture that we've been walking through. It says this, and Judah never slept with Tamar again. Now, naturally you might say, of course he wouldn't. Of course he wouldn't sleep with his daughter-in-law again. Of course he wouldn't make that mistake again. Of course he wouldn't fall into that trap again. Yeah. But how many times do we say, I'm never sinning that way again. I'm never making that mistake again. I'm never falling into that trap again. And we do it over and over and over and over again. Don't go back to your sin. That's one of the biggest problems that we have as people. We go through this process oh, so messed up because like, we'll, we'll sin and then we'll face the facts and then we'll accept the consequences. And then what we don't do is improve, which means if we don't improve, we make the same sin mistake again and we have to start the process all over again. We have to face the facts and then accept the consequences and then we can either improve or we don't. And if we don't, we're going back and starting it over again. I don't want that for your life. I don't want you to experience that. And so many of us fall into that trap over and over and over again because we don't improve on our sin habits on our failures. Judah did. And you might be saying, Clay, how, how do I do that? This seems like uh, such a challenging thing. I've tried so many times. And three quick tips for you. One, 
Ask God to help you. God's a powerful God. He can help you with your problems, and he wants to help you with your problems. Two, understand your triggers. If you know watching Netflix with a girl in your house by yourself leads you to do stuff that you shouldn't be doing, don't watch Netflix in a house by yourself. And then three, get people in your life to hold you accountable. And if you do those three things, you will be on the path to improvement, which then will help you live with the end in mind, which is L, the last verse. There's a blessing that Judah's father gives him, and it's a couple verses long. I just took one little section from it. It says, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. The end result of your life could be something special. For Judah, Jesus came from his line. In fact, Jesus was known as the lion of Judah. You have no idea what God can do in your future. You have no idea what the bigger picture looks like. You have no idea what that could really be like. So embrace that. Say, I am going to live knowing that God can do something bigger. Don't let failure be the picture of your life. Let it be a part of the much bigger picture. That's what happened with Judah. And we see the effects of it. What could happen in your life? So when you fail, this is how you should respond. Face the facts. Accept the consequences. Improve and live with the end in mind. And I'm going to challenge us to respond as we enter a time of response. Now, there's this, this great thing about Abraham Lincoln. Like, if you look at his story, it's actually, for as successful as a man, as we look back at him on history, he had a lot of failures. In 1831, he was a businessman that failed. In 1836, he suffered a nervous breakdown. He was defeated in his run for president in 1856, yet obviously we know that's not the things that defined him. Now I wonder why that is, but there was a quote that he said that, that really showed me why that is. And it's this, my great concern is not whether you have failed, but whether you are content with your failure. I'll read that again for you. My great concern is not whether you have failed, but whether you are content with your failure. Let me ask you this today. Are you content with your failure? Or are you, are you ready to respond? And we have the opportunity to respond today because Jesus is not content with our failure. See, Jesus saw us fail. He saw us all sin. He saw us all fall away from him. And yes, he could have just let us be. He could have let us suffer for eternity. But what he did was he came down from heaven to earth and died on the cross for all of us, taking the punishment for our failures that he did not need to take because he was perfect. He never failed. He never made mistakes. But he did it for us so that we wouldn't have to experience failure here on this earth, but also for eternity spiritual failure. Jesus died on the cross for each and every single one of us. And because his death on the cross and him rising from the grave, we now have grace, which means we can respond to him and have a life with him. 
And I know I just put a huge emphasis on responding by facing the facts and accepting the consequences, improving and living with the end of mind. Those are really important, but they don't mean anything unless we respond to Jesus first. We need to give our lives to him as a response. That's how we get out of failure. Now that doesn't mean we're not gonna experience mistakes, we're still gonna mess up, but we have the grace of Jesus covering us and the power of Jesus working in us. Our lives will change. There's a lot of ways we can respond today. It's the beauty of this. We could all agree we have all failed. For some of you today, it's gonna be giving your life to Jesus for the first time. Some of you, it's gonna be getting baptized. Some of you, it's gonna be facing the facts or accepting the consequences or improving or living at the end of mind. Some of you, it's gonna be coming up here and taking communion to remind yourself of Jesus' sacrifice so that we can respond to him. We all have a way that we can respond today. So why don't you guys stand with me? And let's not be content with our failure, but let's respond. Jesus, give us the courage to respond today. Thank you for not being content with our failures. Lord, we love you. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about how to give to God through The Rock, you can find that information on our app or on our website. Another way that you can give to us is simply by subscribing to this podcast, rating it, telling your friends about it. All those things are super helpful. We hope you have a great week.